0: Now you'll see that um, we're talking about this letter, a short letter, that the risen and ascended Jesus Christ gave to John the Apostle, who wrote it in the book of Revelations, seven letters which were to be delivered, read out, to seven different churches in what today we call the the area of Turkey. Uh, The one we're looking at tonight is in in Revelation chapter 3, which I read earlier. Uh, to this place called Sardis really interesting city we might call it Sardis the unready there was a British king called Ethered the unready who wasn't ready for an invasion and made a mess of his foreign policy and the country got into trouble this is way way back you know, uh, back in medieval times over a thousand years ago Sardis was unready in history um, 500 years, 600 years really before Jesus uh, there was a man called Cyrus. Uh, which is mentioned. And he's mentioned in the Bible. He's, he was the king of Persia. And uh, he's a very important person. Uh, in, in the Bible actually. Uh, for the Jewish people in those days. But Cyrus. Attacked Sardis. 600 years before. Well 550 years before. The book of Revelation uh, was written. Well actually probably it was. Like 600 years before the book of Revelation was written. And. The thing was this. Sardis had been an incredibly rich city-state and controlled a large region um, uh, uh, around its its city walls. It was built on a kind of a massive boulder, a rock, and uh, basically uh, the escarpment... uh, uh, down towards the regions it's controlled, was very heavily guarded. The city walls were well manned and they kept their eye open all the time. But where this massive um, rock that they were built on had a a sharp precipice, I mean, it was hundreds of foot of almost a sheer drop, well, they didn't actually guard it very well. It wasn't a sheer drop like this. Actually, it was... the course consisted in cracks and fissures and, and crags down to the, to, the, uh, to the place below. And when Cyrus decided that he was going to invade Sardis, his army drew up on the other side. And one soldier noticed that a soldier on the city walls accidentally dropped his helmet. And this spry young fella took a rope lowered himself down the city wall and then started to climb down what from the distance appeared to be a sheer cliff but actually there was a very very difficult climb down and a very very difficult climb up but there was a route and what happened was of course that Cyrus having been told this by an alert soldier then devised the strategy they were going to take that route And they did. His army took that route silently, quietly at night. And when they got to the top of the wall, guess what? They found that on that part of the city wall there were no guards at all. There was no defences. They were totally unready. And like a thief in the night, Cyrus' army poured into Sardis and took it over. Now you'd think that such a city-state would learn from its mistakes. But 200 years later, exactly the same thing happened. And so, actually, if you look in, uh, just for a second, at Revelations chapter 3, you'll see towards the end of that passage uh, in Revelation 3 uh, that I, men- that, that, uh, I mentioned. Um, actually, it's halfway through. Uh, it says, Jesus says, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I'll come against you. Now... The people of Sardis were well aware of their history. The Christians who lived in Sardis were also well aware of their history. Of how, as a city, they had been taken unawares and suddenly the whole of that, uh, that ruling elite were destroyed by the, uh, the, the people coming in, into their city. And the warning is clear here. We have to be alert and watchful disaster is coming unless we unless we pay attention and what we as believers need to do is, is check ourselves check our lives we need to check are there weak points that have been weak points for years but we've got away with it are there habitual sins in our lives we've got away with it we've been grieving the Lord maybe and we Nothing has seemed to happen, and so we carry on combining living the Christian life, having an outward form of religion, but actually denying the true power of it, which is God wants to change us. And as we see, if you look now at uh, at verse, uh, halfway through verse 1, you'll see that the Lord Jesus spoke to John, gave him this message to give to Sardis, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, actually, before I go any further, I just want to talk to anybody that's listening online, uh, anybody in the church, who actually have, no, have never actually come to know Christ as their personal Savior. Um, there are many people that know about Jesus, think he's a great prophet or a great teacher. But Jesus said, I didn't come into this world to condemn the world as a prophet, I didn't just come to condemn. Although there are things that Jesus does say that that does condemn, but it didn't just—that wasn't his mission to condemn the world. Jesus said, "I've come to save the world." And uh, the centre to this message is found in the New Testament. Jesus's message in Jesus's own teaching, and then the teaching of his apostles. And here we find um, actually in this letter. The Lord Jesus, risen and ascended, saying in verse 3, Remember then what you received and heard. Hold on to it, keep it, and repent. Now, we we find very similar words by the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthians. Uh, He says in 1 Corinthians 15, um, that what I received I passed on to you. That which was of first importance... Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Now, what you received, hold on to it. Keep that truth in mind. That's that's what Jesus is saying. Not just about the gospel, but also about other teachings which we will look at. But I want to say to you, if you've never come to Jesus, understand he came to save you by dying for your sins. Uh read a few years ago now and I have mentioned this in open air talks, I don't know why I've used it in the church this particular illustration but there was a um, uh, a parachute instructor who took out a uh, a girl um, on a um, teaching her how to use the parachutes and so on and uh, essentially what happened was um, that the poor girl her parachute got she didn't know how to use it properly. And I think her parachute got into a terrible, into a terrible mess. And uh, the only way the parachute instructor could save the girl, ultimately, was by kind of diving down as they do. Uh, and at a very late point before it reached the ground, he was able to catch up with her. And then he literally allowed his body to cushion her fall as uh, she hit the ground. And in fact what happened was he was crushed to death by her body while she survived. Now the Bible says Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Our iniquities doesn't just mean my iniquities, but for your sins, for your failures, for your shame. He was crushed, but of course he didn't remain crushed. Jesus died but he rose from the dead and... He wants us to trust him and come to him. And so if you aren't aren't a Christian, aren't a believer in Jesus, well, tonight he calls you to himself, to trust him. That he was prepared to be crushed, to suffer on on a cross, killed by the Romans, but that wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a disgrace. Uh, of uh, a disgraceful idea that somehow uh, a holy prophet shouldn't die in that way or God shouldn't allow someone to die in that way. No. It was a glorious plan created before the foundation of the universe by God to save this world. The glorious fact that Jesus died for us, for sinners. So uh, please, uh, if, if you're in that situation, you're online, you're at home, and you think, as I'm speaking, call out to Jesus and trust him. But of course, um, what I'm I'm centering on tonight is the whole of uh, this this letter. And I, I want to notice this, that Revelation overlaps with the teaching of Jesus as he was on earth. Before he rose from the dead and before he ascended into heaven, Jesus gave teaching in which he talked about Christian decline those who believe in him declining in their faith, in their love in their holiness he actually says in Matthew 24 verse 12, when he was talking about the situation before the end of the world he says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold here's Sardis Jesus says, I know your works you have the reputation of being alive but you're dead you, you think you fooled everybody, but you're dead spiritually inside. We should be aware that Jesus shows us by what He says in Matthew twenty-four, verse twelve, there is a correspondence between the increase of wickedness in the world and the love of believers growing cold. Not everybody is involved in this, but clearly the implication is is clear. As the world goes on and as wickedness increases and the volume of it increases so many believers, their own lives are affected. As indeed we have just in the last 15 years had an incredible multiplication well probably it's more like 30 years since the invention of the and use of the internet. But there's an incredible increase in digital communication. And what is it doing? Uh, it used to be called the information superhighway, the internet. Actually it's the sin superhighway because for every uh, nice documentary that you're going to see, there is horrific violence, sordid sexual uh, scenes, sordid uh, you know videos that are on, and of course there's a torrent of pornography coming through the internet, and indeed through social media as well. The lies, the corruption, that is poured out and people are picking up and there's no one to, generally speaking, uh, Google and, uh, and Facebook and all these other people they're not, they're not, they're not cancelling unholiness and corruption and, and uh, pollution, moral pollution. They're not stopping that but they just stop people with political views that they don't agree with but as wickedness increases the love of many grows cold. Now the truth is Every believer can't but be helped be affected by this mental environment that we have if we're plugged into the internet, if we're part of our modern society. We'll go down the street and there's adverts, uh, you know, showing. So we have to understand that the people in Sardis were affected by their environment. I want to read something that um, a Bible commentator called William Barclay said a few years ago about Sardis. The combination of easy money and a loose moral environment made the people of Sardis notoriously soft and pleasure-loving. The great characteristic of Sardis was that even on pagan lips, you know, pagan, materialistic, immoral, corrupt Romans, amongst them Sardis was a name of contempt. Its people were notoriously loose-living, notoriously pleasure and luxury loving and seeking. Sardis was a city of decadence. Now, reading between the lines, we can see quite clearly that Sardis was a church who on the outside seemed to be a flourishing worship worshipful community. They gathered on the Lord's day, they had their worship service, but during the week they absorbed what was coming from their environment. And as a result, Although on the outside they were living, functioning religious beings, worshipping God, praying, and listening to sermons, inside the inner reality was death. I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You see, churches decline. Not primarily because, um, you know, people just. Uh, grow old and they lose their youthful enthusiasm. No, it's not not to do with human factors like that. Uh, Some modern commentators claim that the Sardis church was a very respectable, doctrinally sound church which was simply traditional. You know, they all wore suits like I'm wearing. I mean, no one wears suits. I go go to, uh, I mean, in church or anywhere. I I went to um, uh, Stratford, you know, every day I'm in there no one ever wears a suit. And the picture of a traditional, hidebound sort of thing is all people wearing suits and so on. But actually, it isn't something as simple as that. The description of this church is not of a formal church that aren't quite as lively as some other churches. What does it say about them? It says their spiritual garments are polluted. Verse 4. You still have a few names in this. a few, people who have not soiled their garments. They have not, they have not um, made their garments to be filthy. And they're talking there about their soul. Their inner being is, is not filthy by the filth that they think about, by the hatred that runs through their hearts, their selfishness and their pride. They're not only uh, stained, but they're in a spiritual coma. And a near death, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Your spiritual life is on the point of, of just complete extinction, the Lord is saying. They're in a spiritual state of paralysis. And a near death, even though they're still going to church, maybe getting a bit of money out and occasionally giving a bit of money uh, uh, to the poor, Jesus says, their works are incomplete. They're fatally flawed. Uh, And he says, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Now, that again sounds fairly innocuous, but what it's saying is this, is that God created us to live a perfect life and to fulfill his laws of love. And when we're not living like that, we have lost our destiny. We have lost the point of our life. We have rebelled against God's pattern that he wants for our life. We are totally lost. Now Jesus when he was upon Earth Before he died, risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. He dealt with people like the people in Sardis. And his message for them was very uncomfortable. And it is uncomfortable for us as we think about it about ourselves. He had religious people who were called pharisees they that meant holy ones the separated ones uh, who consider themselves to be a cut above the ordinary person they 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 had all these rules and laws that they kept on the outside they kept them perfectly they gave lots of money to the poor they even took bits of their garden and offered them to god they uh, kept over 600 rules They learnt those rules off by heart and kept every single one of them that they found not only in the Old Testament, but then also added to to them by their writers. They fasted, they prayed, they went on all of the pilgrimages to Jerusalem that was required. But this is what Jesus said about the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean out the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. Clean the inside of the cup and plate. That the outside also may be clean. Your whitewashed tombs. Which outwardly appear beautiful. But within are full of dead people's bones. And all uncleanness. You outwardly appear righteous. But within you are full of hypocrisy. And lawlessness. Now this is an awful. Description of the secret life. Of a religious man or woman. The terrifying darkness. Of a man or woman who appears as a reputation for being a good person, but God sees what we are like. And he saw these men, Jesus said, Jesus himself saw these men, full of greed and self-indulgence, secretly. Greedy for money. Lustful. Controlled by their own impulses and anger and hatred. Full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness of mind full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And for Jesus, lawlessness was a key word. Uh, remember that Jesus said on that day, when I come to judge the world, many will come to me saying, Lord, we did this for you. Lord, we did this in your name. We, we preached sermons. We, we did miracles. We did all sorts of things. You know, And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, you evildoers, you workers of lawlessness. Because although on the outside you've conformed to a law, inwardly you have not conformed and obeyed the living God so we might say that the, uh, the church of Sardis is Mr. Christians, Mr. Christian on the outside if you know the children's book Mr. Men they're all given different names Mr. Grumpy and so on perhaps some children might remind me of some of their names um, Mr. Grumpy is particularly memorable to me um, but uh, the thing is we have Mr. Christian on the outside now Mr. Christie on the outside isn't just empty inside. He's full of the results of sin that can't be hidden from God. See, a lot of people think, Oh yes, if I keep my religious religion's laws, I'm going to be clean. What did Jesus say? He said this. When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says... I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. There's a picture. When there is a spiritual vacuum in someone's heart, it doesn't remain a vacuum. It gets filled with evil. Someone can clean the outside, but if there's no inward love of God and love of people, then it gets filled with all kinds of sins and breaking of God's commandments that show a contempt for God and a hatred for people. These, these people were stained. Um, and, and indeed, I've already uh, read the passage from Isaiah in which uh, uh, Isaiah paints a very similar picture. And Indeed, God... Uh, god uh, inspired isaiah the holy spirit inspired isaiah to talk about this uncleanness of life that even my righteous deeds are, for, are like a polluted garment we fade like a wind or a leaf their lives were fatally flawed their religion they were, they were meant to be followers of jesus but actually they didn't really love the lord the Thessalonian Christians were Christians that Paul said were, a model, were models as Christians. Why? He says their work was produced by faith. Their work for God, the things they did, was based upon their trust and walk with the Lord. Their labor was produced by love. They, they, they labored at, uh, at serving God and they did it because they loved him. Not because they were f- afraid of him. Not because they were trying to bribe him. Oh, if I do this, this, and this, you'll let me into heaven. No. Their labor was inspired by a love of God. And their steadfast loyalty to Christ was produced by a hope in the Lord. That's uh, an expectant, loving faith in him, looking uh, to the future. And so these Thessalonian Christians, they were prepared to suffer the loss of all things, even losing their own life. As they turned away from idols, pagan religion, to serve the living God. Now, the, the the Christians at Sardis, they didn't have this. That's why Jesus said, you have the reputation of being alive. But those things, that faith, hope and love aren't alive in you. You're ready to die. It's a frightening state to be in. And of course, Jesus actually describes this as, here as, as being, you know... You, you, what remains is about to die it needs to be, needs to be changed you need to wake up uh, we all know stories of people who've, who've um, frozen to death or, or been on the point of freezing to death and one man um, called John Elliott, who was on the point of being frozen to death in, uh, in southwestern Alberta which was in Canada um, the only thing that's, that saved him was a dog uh, his own dog woke him up barked at him Kept barking until he waked up. But but Elliot said once he was able to get out of this almost comatose state, he says, "When you're freezing to death, you actually feel warm all over, and don't wake up, don't want to wake up, because it feels really good, dying." Fortunately for him, the, the dog woke him up. But this is a picture of how even Christians can be, we're in a comfort zone, repeating sins. And not praying about them, not doing anything about it, but carrying on the same cycle. We're miserable, but comfortable at the same time in our sins. Now, uh, I just want to move on quickly in the last 12 minutes to say this. Is this situation recoverable? Someone reaches this point, and they might be someone like me, an old man. Or well, they might be a young person of 18. But can you recover from it? Well, the wonderful thing is... Scripture and Revelation itself says, yes, there is hope. For anybody that may have reached these points um, that uh, the book uh, book of Revelation talks about in these seven letters, they are recoverable. I don't know if when I was reading it, you noticed that uh, the the words that Jesus said, talking about uh, those who conquer will be clothed, this is verse 5, in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life, I will confess his name before my father than before his angels. I wonder if you recognize those words. They're actually words which Jesus, when he was alive upon earth, before he, he had died and risen from the dead, had used in Matthew 10.32. He says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others... I will disown before my Father in heaven. Well, here's the problem for Peter. If there's no recovery from disowning Jesus, then Peter is in hell. But of course, Peter the Apostle did disown Jesus. But we know that Peter was told in advance that Satan was going to sift him like wheat and he would do the most terrible thing. He disowned Jesus with curses, with swearing when Jesus was being on, put on trial. He said, I had nothing to do with him. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. He disowned him, but there was still hope for him. And the people of Sardis, there was hope for them, there's recovery. Each of the, the letters, the seven letters in Revelations, contains this um, promise to those who will overcome, to those who are victorious. Uh, it uses the same word that we get uh, Nike, Nike uh, sports shoes from. That's the idea of victory. And uh, there's hope for those who are victorious. What, those who are already victorious? That, no, but for those... Who overcome the challenges that they're challenged with? Now, the seven uh, the seven churches that are that are addressed have different problems. Some of them have messed up, like Ephesus; it had lost its first love. But they're they're, they're given a, a message of encouragement that, basically, to him who conquers, it says. Uh, I'll just um, uh, it says the one who conquers will be clothed. Um, Hurry to get back back to uh, chapter. It says, To those uh, who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, what conquering? Well, to deal with the problem of their decline from their first love. Smyrna, a church being persecuted, was given an encouragement. They were facing a challenge. They weren't in sin. They actually had already been persecuted and stood up to it. But they were given this encouragement. They were going to be challenged with. Losing their own lives. And indeed many of them were, would go on to lose their own lives in standing up for Jesus and believing in him. But they were encouraged by if you conquer, that situation is going to come up. If you are faithful to me, then you will have a crown of life. I could go through all of the, all of the seven letters. All of the letters end with a promise of, uh, to those who conquer. And in each case, it's either those who conquer a sin that's overtaken them, or it's a promise to those who, they're going to be facing a challenge to them, their spiritual lives are fine at the moment, but they then face a, a challenge which might destroy them. But if you are able to overcome, then you will have a blessing uh, that is described. There is hope. Okay, well let me just, uh, let, let me just uh, finish by thinking about, well, how do we recover? Well, the first thing is, Jesus says, this he says wake up be watchful no longer drift through your christian life as though uh everything's going to be okay or you're not really worried about the situation that you're in no wake up life's not a rehearsal our life is is going away so rapidly wake up secondly strengthen what remains now if someone's on a life support machine um as you know uh, um their uh, vital uh, needs uh, of keeping their heart beating and, and, and so on, getting, getting, in the lungs, uh, they're getting in the lungs, processing oxygen, that carries on. But they also, of course, need the normal process of feeding. Of course, it goes straight in their bloodstream. Uh, but the thing is this, if ever uh, uh, DNF is, or well, it used to be the case anyway, 20, 30 years ago, if DNF was put on the board of uh, someone who was um, in a coma... That meant do not feed. And of course, if you put DNF on someone and they don't eat, they are going to die. If a human being who is perfectly normal and and gets the mental illness of anorexia and stops eating, they will eventually die if they don't actually take on board nutrients. These believers needed to wake up and strengthen what remains. These Christians had stopped internally feeding on the word of God they were listening to sermons but they weren't feeding on it feeding on the living bread obeying the word of Christ being thankful for 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 the God who is revealed in the word they needed to strengthen themselves so if you feel that your spiritual life is weak well strengthen yourself get the goodness out of fellowship dogs eat bones but they don't just kind of eat them you know for a few seconds they chew them they get the marrow out of that bone they get the internal goodness out of it and a christian wishes to have his relationship with jesus his or her relationship with jesus increased through fellowship coming gathering together for fellowship that's why a healthy christian wants to have as much fellowship as they can the Lord's day is the Lord's day for a purpose that we get closer to the Lord and the more time we spend with the Lord on the Lord's day the closer we're going to we're going to find the more delight we'll have in it we we will listen to sermons but we won't just process it intellectually we will want to actually apply it to our life we will pray privately and together with other people we'll go strong in the Lord as we use his means strengthen what remains remember Verse 3, remember what you've received and heard. Hold on to it. Remember the great times in your life when God has answered prayer, when you've been filled with joy. Remember remember that, indeed, when you first became a Christian. Remember the gratefulness and the love and the devotion that you may have had when you were a younger Christian. And perhaps things have gone in the way and you've, you've gradually grown colder. Remember these things, these great events where God has worked in your life, remember the times when God has really speaking through His Word and shaken you up, and go back to those passages and think about them. Hold it fast, hold it fast. I, now, um, in the uh, the English Standard Version, it says, uh, "Keep it," uh, but the word also has this idea of holding on to something. When uh, when Peter was uh, in a, in, a, in a boat you may remember he saw Jesus walking on the water and Peter said well Lord I want to walk on the water and he started to walk on the water but there was, there was a great storm and great waves and Peter started to to be terrified that he was going to drown and he started to sink and what did Jesus do Jesus says these words which often we, we don't think about he, he put out his hand and he caught him he caught him, he caught his hand to bring him back on board uh, on, on board uh, the boat to safety now this is the wonderful thing about Jesus he's alive now and he catches us and he, holds, he puts out his hand and we need to hold on to his hand we need to, to say Lord I am weak I'm a failure but Lord don't let me go please bring me out of the, the waves of sin the iniquities, the darkness and the shame please Lord and he will Hold fast to what you've learnt and above all hold fast to Jesus and then repent. And repent is a word that means really change your mind. And really the change of mind about the way you've been living change your life. If the Lord points out certain things that have been in the way of your relationship with him, Seek the Lord with all of your heart that He's going to change you. Now, uh, in that, in that uh, wonderful passage in Isaiah, uh, and Isaiah's is talking about the fact that, that He Himself is aware of that He's part of a community that are soiled, that are hopeless, that, that, that are not really striving to be close to God. He says, You are, Lord, you are the potter and we are the clay. And that is the point. We just cry out to the Lord. I can't change myself, but you can. And let us trust Him and seek Him, that we might actually that we might actually respond to His love. Okay. Now, I just want to, to say that the great reward that one of I mean, I haven't got time so my time strictures to go much further into um, the passage, but I want to notice that uh, Jesus talks about those who are already walking with Him, and uh, they're clothed in white garments. And I want us to notice that um, this, this, is, this is a, a promise uh, that we may take on board. You still have a few names in this. people who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And indeed, the one who conquers will be clothed thus, or clothed in the same way as those ones. The one who conquers, the one who submits himself to God and allows God to take control of his life again. And they will be clothed in white garments, and of course, they will walk with Jesus. The greatest reward that we can ever have is to walk with Jesus Christ. And it's just so exciting to think about tomorrow, at work, at school, in our home, that Jesus is with him, his his followers. We walk with him, we talk with him, along life's narrow way, as the song says. What a great thing this is. And, of course, the greatest boon of being in heaven is that we will know Jesus Christ, even though there are millions of people who will be in heaven. Every single one of us, because of God's infinite power and love, every single one of us will be walking with Jesus in an intimate, marvelous, wonderful way. So, may I just finish where I started? Sardis, the unready city, the city that was uh, not guarding itself, was asleep, was suddenly taken down. And Jesus warns us in the heart of this passage. He says, if you won't wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Let's really take to heart this message. To ourselves, for myself, I'm I'm saying this: as I was preparing this message, I I had a lot of uh, heart-searching myself about my own life. And let us take it to heart. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, not just the seven churches, but churches all over the world ever since then. This is what one of the messages that we must attend to. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. And if you do, you will walk in white garments. Praise the Lord.